Hello and welcome to another episode of Tokyo Daily, and it is a bumper show for you guys today. My name's Harper, and I'm going to preview what's to come on this day 11 of the Tokyo Olympics, and later on, I'm going to speak to not one, but two expert guests to break down a couple of very important, very interesting sports for the Aussies. But first, I'm going to review what happened last night, and I must say, ended on a bit of a bit of a sad note for the Aussies, uh, the Matildas going down 1-0 in a pretty heartbreaking loss to Sweden in the semi-final of the women's football. And with me to talk all about that is he's from Kick360 and is Neil Simons. Thanks for coming on the show, Neil. Hey, time, mate. It's an absolute honor. You guys are smashing it with the uh, the pods every day. It's, it's good stuff. Thank you very much. Now, mate, let's just get into this Matilda's game. Where do you think it went wrong? So, look, I, look I, I'll, I'll be up open and honest and I'll just say that I, we, the Matilda should have never been in this position uh, coming into this fixture uh, the performances in prior games had been quite disappointing if you look at it as a whole um, pretty much conceding in, in all their games bar um, the uh, <laughs> very uh, arduous to watch uh, very you know stoic back line that performance against the USA where who we are actually ironically facing on Thursday um, but I, I think the shape, the tactical shape in which Tony Gustafsson employed hadn't worked in prior games. We beat the, the great, great Britain by virtue of, you know, fortune in a way. Um, you look at the statistics and they really held us to, to ransom there. Uh, but focusing on this one, I think we played extremely well, especially in transition. Um, the substitutions of Mary Fowler and Cooney Cross did very well uh, to try and initiate some attacking runs. Uh, ultimately, we faltered in the in the, in the areas that were critical, and that was striking. But the key just, the key uh, moment will obviously be that Sam Kerr um, goal though was disallowed. Referee called it before um, Sam Kerr should have been disallowed. Right, right call, no, wrong call. Not at all. It, there's there's yep. nothing in it. With you there's there, nothing in it. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, you can put your thoughts on it, but uh, I guess what do you think about that call? Yeah, like you said, nothing in it. For the people who didn't watch the game, there was a free kick whipped in from the kind of right-hand side, ed- edge of the box type area, and Sam Kerr tapped it home, but was ruled out for a, a block somewhere from an Aussie going on yeah, in the box. Look, and uh, yeah. I don't know. So some, like, some of the referees across the board in, in, in this tournament have been quite horrific. I think we could say that across men's and women's tournaments, um, you know, having watched all games um, for the Matildas, this one being the fifth. Uh, yeah, it's, it's it's definitely very difficult to take, you know, as a, as a contemporary Australian fan, you know, um, one of the first chances to, to earn a medal um, since the 1992 Summer Olympics uh, where the men's team played, obviously <laughs> the likes of... Uh, Ned Zelich in that squad. Um, but you know, the, the Matildas put in a valiant effort and this really shows that they can go up against the best in the world. We'll serve us, serve us in good stead for the Women's World Cup um, in two years' time. But questions need to be talked about for Gustafsson. Why is Ellie Carpenter and Steph Catley playing as left back, uh, as centre-backs when they're one of the best wing-backs in the world? It just doesn't make any real sense. Uh, Sam Kerr's positioning as well, I felt at times was a bit disappointing. I mean, they've finally got her in the right places, but let's be honest, there's improvement from the uh, prior friendlies. So uh, I know it's a long spiel, but a lot of positives to take out. Unlucky performance, but uh, we're on the way up. 
Uh, mate, don't worry about the long spiel. That's exactly what I've got you on for. But I'll just say, uh, in fairness to the Swedes, maybe maybe their keeper would have saved it had the whistle not gone because the whistle went before Sam Kerr um, poked yeah. it home. But who knows? It's yeah, yeah it's no, all hypotheticals. You can always, you can you always talk leave. about things in yeah. hindsight. We can yeah, also talk about yeah. things in hindsight, um, but we, we still had chances to win the game, and we didn't. And I think, <laughs> yeah, like it's it's, it's football co- coin yeah. flip. That result really could have gone either way. We perhaps unlucky with a few things, um, but in terms of the kind of yeah the, the shape and uh, well, not in terms of the shape, but in terms of the overall performance throughout the tournament, I think Matilda's probably. Do, do you agree with me in saying that? in terms of where we finished, there's still a game to go. Do you reckon we overachieved? Because most people were saying we'll get conked out in the quarterfinals, but we ended up in the semis, might have a chance yeah, at the medal, bronze um, medal. I think it's they, they perform to expectations, if I'll be real. Um, yeah. New coach, hadn't won a game previously, beat New Zealand pretty comprehensively, um, unearthed a lot of youngsters, which is good. Tactically, I don't think Gustafsson's able to adapt to game situations. Even against Great Britain, you stuck up five forwards up top and you managed to score three goals by virtue of poor defending, let's be honest. But we have to back Tony. We have to back him. Um, so do they overperform? Probably not. Satisfactory performance and they can hold their heads high. You know, Mary Fowler it looks to be a star. Don't th- I, don't, I don't see why she doesn't start any... Um, I, don't, I don't see why she doesn't start games in the future. But look, it's encouraging. It's very encouraging, that's for sure. Yeah, all eyes are looking forward to the 2023 World Cup in Australia and New Zealand, of course. And I think Tony Gustafsson, he's going to be in this for the long haul. He's not kind of going away after maybe one or two bad results. They've signed him for a pretty long-term deal, I think. So this guy's going to be around for the World Cup and maybe beyond. Yeah. I mean, they've signed him until the 2024 Olympics. So um, long-term projects being put in place. And even 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 just commentating an NPL... W level, you can see the um, improvements that they're put in place at the youth level as well. So, um, come in two years' time, I think we'll have a very good squad together. Although the, um, the players in their prime, such as your Sam Kerr's, will be you know nearing thirty. So, um, mm. positives to take out a possible medal chance against the USA on Thursday. Huge, huge game. And I'm sure you guys will talk about it uh, more as we head to the game. Well, on Thursday, but yeah, look. Upsetting performance, but, you know, at least it wasn't a 4-2 loss to Sweden as we witnessed uh, last week. Yeah, exactly. And that 4-2 loss, it was a bigger loss, but that really could have gone either way as well. There were some kind of dodgy decisions here and there. And yeah, like, like this one, it was a pretty even performance, I thought. But just before I let you go, mate, we haven't mentioned Ali Carpenter's red card at the end of the game. Oh, we haven't, no. Um, it's funny because I, uh, <laughs> I was filing a match report for Keith 360 um, and I just want to make sure that we were getting it on time. Um, it's, I didn't actually see it. Um, I'm, I'm gonna have to watch it. Uh, but it seemed to have been a, a very unnecessary challenge or something of that ilk. But yeah, well, <laughs> as, as someone who saw it, I'll say it was basically the last action of the game. There were five minutes of injury time. We were five minutes and forty <laughs> see, seconds yeah. or something into injury I time. Yeah, I literally left my yeah. my living room half and like half half a minute before the game closed. So didn't yeah. see that, but. Yeah. She was the last defender, just grabbed on to the Swedish attacker who outpaced her. She was a uh, freshly subbed on sub and, yeah, just a bit stupid. Now she's going to miss the bronze medal match. And, yeah, it's, it, she's one of the best players for the people who aren't 
big football fan. She's an absolute star for the Matildas. But, Neil, thanks very much for coming on, mate. You can find all Neil's work at kick360.com.au. Anything else you want to plug before I let you go, Matt? Plug your stuff as well. You write for us, so <laughs> well. Yes, I do. Um, I do write for. I do write yeah, for yes. and uh, Kick Three Sixty. Harper's a fantastic a- contributor. I have to say, um, yeah. Make sure you guys check out the twenty-two man, well, woman squad, um, comprehensive guide that Harper's um, prepared, and yeah, it's done really well. And uh, you know, Harper keeps plugging it, and, and rightly so. It's a fantastic piece of work, and Harper will continue to grow as well. He's got a fantastic podcast on here, and yeah fantastic uh, writing abilities to come cool thanks very much man and you you're doing fantastic work for the website kind of running it all and writing and of course uh on this podcast as well and there might be some fresh things to come in the podcast world for you uh thanks very much for coming on that anytime mate anytime best of luck for the rest of the tournament Thank you so much to Neil Simons for coming on the show and check out kick360.com.au to see my work and his work. Some great football content on there. Really appreciate him coming on on a very frustrating night for the Australian football team. But speaking of what could have been frustrating nights, the Opals played Puerto Rico last night. They needed to win by at least 25 points to get a spot in the quarterfinals after a bit of a shaky start to their Olympic campaign, losing both games. So 25-point win needed, as I said. Opals, they got off to a bit of a shaky start in this game as well against Puerto Rico, who have been smashed by the other two teams that they've played. But they ended up winning by 27 points, and it was a very, very nervy ending because... Genuinely, with about two seconds left, Puerto Rico had a three-point shot from, obviously, outside, well, I don't even know what you call it, out, <laughs> from outside the line. They went for a three-point shot. Oh, I had my heart in my mouth. I thought it was going in. If it went in, it would have been 24 points. Opals would have been gone. Puerto Rico would have been rejoicing. But it hit the rim, as I said. So the Opals won in an absolutely phenomenal game, phenomenal performance, and Considering how the game started and how the Olympics started for them, it's been an amazing comeback in terms of the campaign and in terms of the game. So good in the Opals for winning that one. I'm going to whip through uh, some other things that happened yesterday. If you already have uh, heard about what's happened yesterday, skip to the next two interviews because they're definitely worth listening to. Uh, There's timestamps for them in the description wherever you're listening or viewing. Um, But if you haven't heard what happened yesterday, I'm going to whip through it. And also, uh, I'm not going to say absolutely everything. So hop on the YouTube channel, Tokyo Daily by Where Do We Begin on YouTube. And it's got headlines scrolling just under me, just around here. Uh, And you can see all the big headlines from yesterday. And I'll whip through the biggest of them. So the Hockey Roos, they played India in a quarterfinal, of course, the Aussie women's hockey team. Widely expected to win, got off to a 5-0 start in the group stage, hadn't lost a game. They looked in the form of their lives, really. All the players were on fire. Rachel Lynch, our very own uh, friend of the show, Rachel Lynch, smashing it in goals. But I've got to say, India, very, very good performance by them, and they won 1-0, heartbreaking for the hockey roots, heartbreaking for the hockey community. All the players just looked, I had to say it, they looked heartbroken. It was... Gut-wrenching stuff, really. So they'd be very disappointed with that. But, yeah, uh, I don't know what to say about that. It was just disappointing result, frustrating game. India, they probably had the better of the game. Uh, I know the hockey roos, they had nine penalty shots to one, or penalty corners, sorry, to one. Uh, but I, I think, really, 
toss of a coin who won that one. India may be the better team on the day, so fair enough. I don't think the Hockey Roos should be feeling too hard done by. But yeah, like I said, disappointing. But in some kind of brighter news, uh, disappointing if you were in a particular way, but I view this as very good news. A bright new day for Australian athletics is Riley Day. She ran a PB in the 200-meter semifinal, 22.56 seconds, and she did well in the heat, did even better in that semifinal. She just missed out on a spot in the 200-meter final by three spots. Oh, pretty agonizing in the end. She had to watch a couple more races, and she just missed out, uh, which was, yeah, frustrating. So Sorry, I meant to say she, she yeah, she qualified for the – she was going to qualify for the final there. Sorry, I, I'm all over the place tonight. But speaking of all over the place, Sharika Jackson, she won in the 100-meter sprint. She won the bronze medal. She's a Jamaican woman, won the bronze medal in the 100-meter sprint. So in a 200-meter heat, just yesterday in the morning, she she was cruising along, leading by maybe like a couple of meters, uh, maybe not a couple of meters, but a fair amount. And as she approached the finish line, she slowed down. Two people overtook her. And there you go, Sharika Jackson eliminated. Get out of here! That is that was just absolutely insane when I saw that. Like, I think it's pretty fair to say it's a bit of arrogance. Just thinking you can cruise over the line and not kind of show, uh, giving your best until the very end, and it's cost her. She's been eliminated. She's been bundled out of the 200 meter sprint in Tokyo. But. Just before we got into our next interview, a very nice story coming out of yesterday. Andrew Hoy, he's a 62-year-old uh, horse rider um, in the equestrian. He was in the team eventing uh, event <laughs> with Shane Rose and Kevin McNabb for the Aussies. It's his eighth Olympics, Andrew Hoy. They won, they won silver in that, which is absolutely phenomenal. He is the oldest guy in any sport uh, oldest man or woman in any sport to win a medal since 1962. How is that for a stat? Andrew Hoy, I'll take my hat off to you, mate. That is an amazing achievement. Say what you want about the kind of ethics of using horses for a sport or whatever. <laughs> like, I'm not going to give my take on that, but that is a phenomenal eff- effort from a phenomenal athlete. Now, that's a bit of a tongue twister for you, isn't it? Phenomenal eff- effort from a phenomenal athlete. Try saying that times 10 times. That 10 times over. Whoa, I am all over the place, aren't I? But Courtney Walsh, it's time to talk to Courtney Walsh, our tennis correspondent. There's been some crazy happenings in the tennis over the week and a half that the tennis event, uh, all the events happened. And on to talk about it, the great man for the third time on the show, Courtney Walsh from The Australian. Here he is. Hey, Courtney, thanks very much for coming back on the show, Matt. Absolute pleasure, Harper. It's been uh, it's been a good first week of the Olympics overall, and the tennis has finished, but it was a very dramatic and I think uh, very newsworthy event. Oh yeah, absolute chaos in the mixed doubles. I don't think I'd watched a mixed doubles match in my life before this tournament. I watched uh, Ash Barty and John Pierce their two matches leading up to the bronze medal match. Was looking forward to it, and it doesn't happen. So tell me what happened there. Well, that's right. So I suppose we saw, well, A, they were unlucky, Barty and uh, Barty and Piers, in terms of they lost to the eventual gold medalists, uh, Rublev and Pavlochenko, you know, in a, in a, in a heartbreaker, basically a, a mixed, uh, sorry, a match tiebreaker, which I call Russian roulette because they can go either way in that third set, um, you know, just edged in that. But they were due to play uh, Novak uh, Djokovic and his partner, Sejanovic, in the semi-final for the bronze medal playoff, sorry, the bronze medal playoff. Um, 
that didn't eventuate. Novak, as we saw, was involved in a couple of very, very lengthy singles matches. I think we touched on last week that over the best of the three, he was certainly vulnerable. He started off very, very well and looked in great form after his quarterfinal when we last spoke. But Alexander Zarev, who has had the better of him in the past over three sets, was too good in the semifinal. And then Novak's come back the next day for the bronze medal singles playoff and was beaten by Pablo Carina Buster. Lost his temper, as we've seen. It wasn't a good look. I think it was a quite a poor look from someone who's the number one in the world. But it was clearly a lot of tennis over sort of 48 hours. Decided that he was shoulder was too sore to play the mixed doubles bronze medal playoff, which clearly a disappointment for his partner. It would have been great to see the world number one in singles in the men's and women's going against each other in doubles, so that's a disappointment. But ultimately, Barty and Piers get the bronze medal, and I think it's well-deserved because they played with great distinction sort of throughout uh, the tournament. So very happy to see them earn the earn the medal. That's, uh, you know, just reward because they, they both had, you know, Ash was beaten in the singles, uh, edged in the women's doubles. To get a bronze medal, I think, is a, a good result um, and something they clearly treasure. Yeah, and I think it's uh, only the second um, Olympians for Australia to win a tennis medal, which was very great to see. But just touching on Novak, again, there's bit of, been a bit of controversy about that whole decision to pull out of it and people saying maybe he's only gone to the Olympics to get the Golden Slam. He doesn't really care about the Olympics themselves in their own right as their own tournament. Um, so do you agree with his decision to pull out or do you not really know enough about it on the inside? Well, I think unless we – I think I – think, Look, it's never great to leave your partner hanging, and I don't think anyone would do that. I, I think clearly he went to the Olympics trying to win the gold medal in singles, and that's that's not a problem. It's as we touched on at the start of the of the of the Olympics, it's the one medal that he didn't have. Roger's got a got a, a gold medal in doubles with Stan Marinka in Beijing in two thousand and eight. Rafa's got the singles gold medal. Uh, Andy Murray's won the last two singles gold medals. So the big four. Novak is the only one that hasn't actually got a gold medal. And, you know, he was in tears in rare after being beaten. So for him to go, no qualms with that. He clearly gave it his all in terms of uh, what he had. I mean, the, the single semifinal, he, he was in the end overwhelmed uh, by Alexander Zarev, a very big serving German who, who was a superb player and the gold medalist, uh, you know, a, a player of the future, clearly uh, former US Open finalist and one to watch in coming years. Um, as a, He's always been the next most likely to sort of break through. So no disgrace there, but to play a, a singles, a mixed, then back up for another singles in arduous conditions, I'm not surprised he was cooked by the end. We don't know how broken he was. So if, if you're at more risk of doing danger to yourself, then there's no point in playing. I've always been one of that belief. Um, but it's polarising. He's, he's a very polarising character, as we know. People either love him or they despise him. You know, there's been some misinformation going around about a quote he gave where he likened the pressure he was on, like he was said to have spoken about pressure being a privilege when referring to Naomi Osaka and to Simone Biles, the uh, champion gymnast who is clearly going through some issues in terms of the twisties, a, a really unfortunate uh, thing that could happen to gymnasts. That's false. He didn't say that. It wasn't in relation to that. So that's, you know, that's to clear that up. But it just goes to show that there can be misinformation. People can jump on things, really, really distort what's happening on the court. But what he didn't do, his behaviour, Slamming his racket into the Olympic rings, appalling. That that I can't cop. He scared the hell out of the kid on the other side of the net, and that's something that's uh, you know that's a stain on him. That's that's something that I think support for his legacy. And his partner Stoyanovich, has she made any comments regarding the situation at all, or has she just 
stage silent. Look, that's something that I haven't seen. Uh, it's possible she's spoken to Serbian, me- uh, Serbian media, but normally that would pop up and I haven't actually come across that. So look, it's possible, but not that I've seen so far. Yeah, okay, fair enough. And moving on to the singles now, you spoke about uh, Sasha Zverev, Alexander Zverev um, winning the final uh, in the end. So tell us about that match. How did that eventuate? Well, he was dominant in the final. Harshinov, he played a Russian, uh, Karen Harshinov, who had a tremendous tournament and clearly a very, very good player himself. He's had some good results in recent months. You know, been a top 10, top 20 player, the tall, lanky Russian. So he enjoyed a great tournament. But Alexander Zverev was dominant in the final. It was, uh, you know, won that 6-3, 6-1. Against Novak in the semifinal, he dropped the first set, was under pressure in the second, but then reeled off 10 of the last 11 games in a, in a really outstanding performance. He was by far the better player in that semifinal by the end. So an impressive win by the German. As we said, he's been mooted as the one most likely to probably break through against the big three in terms of uh, Nadal, Federer, Djokovic, you know, to, to win a Grand Slam. We saw team do it last year. I think it's only a matter of time before Zarev does it. You know, you lost that fifth set tiebreaker to team in uh, New York last October in the US Open final. So he's very close there. He's been quarterfinalists of uh, the French Open. He, he's not that far away. He's, he's clearly a player. And maybe this winning this, which clearly meant a lot to the German, that might be the catalyst for him to make a, a run perhaps in New York or in Melbourne next year. Mm, yeah, it could definitely be a massive confidence boost. And yeah, like you said, really mooted as a young gun, absolute rising star in the tennis world. But the women's singles, Belinda Bencic, definitely not the biggest name in the women's singles draw. And we spoke about in previous uh, episodes how it was really anyone's game, anyone's tournament to win in the women's singles. So tell us about her and her tournament. Well, it's funny. She and uh, she and Zarev back in about 2013, they were the ITF Junior World Champions, and there's some great photos of the two of them, you know, celebrating arm in arm after you know having dominant junior careers. She was an outstanding junior player. And here she is winning the uh, winning the Olympic gold medal singles in the same time as Zarev and their biggest wins of their careers, respectively. She's been a very very good player, Bench. She's certainly a top ten player someone that people identified as a as a probable major winner at some stage in her career. She hasn't quite broken through in terms of making a final, but she's been to the semifinals before, and that's an indication that as a player on the rise, if you're getting people that are through the semis or the quarters of majors, at some stage you think that they're going to make a run deeper than that because they've shown the ability as a young player. I remember you know, she, she received some advice from Roger Federer. She played mixed doubles with Roger a couple of times in Perth, uh, in the last couple of uh, installations of the Hopman Cup, they had, you know, she has great hands, good power. Again, a woman who likes a rev, I think at some stage we'll see her pushing towards winning the Grand Slam because she has got the talent. So not a great surprise necessarily that, uh, you know, it was always going to be uh, perhaps a surprise as to who might get through when Ash Barty went out early and, and Osaka was beaten in the third round. But she was among the ones that were that did have the talent clearly to be able to win it. The woman she beat in the final market, Andre Sova, she made a Grand Slam final two years ago in Paris when Ash Barty defeated her in the finals. She took down some big names here. She had some injuries last year, the left-hander, but she's also clearly a player on the rise and has the power and variety to, to trouble a lot of women. So I think it was a pretty uh, pretty good result, like a, a strong result for Benji Kamot was a very strong field. Mm, yeah, spot on there. And uh, the mixed doubles, they led the headlines really, but I just want to touch on the doubles very quickly, the men's and the women's doubles. Yes. Anything notable happening in those tournaments? Well, I think we t- we touched on Ash Barty 
perhaps having a little bit of uh, a little unlucky in a couple of those big match tiebreakers. She and Storm Standers were close against Krejcikova and Sinikova, the, the top ranked doubles pair. You know, another match tiebreaker. They were so close to getting through. That pair go on to win uh, the gold medal. Uh, clearly, a, a very quality combination in the women's doubles. They beat uh, Belinda Benchik, the singles gold medalist, and uh, and Goliabev in the final. Uh, two Brazilians, uh, Picosa and Stefani, became the first Brazilian pair to win a medal when they get they got the bronze. In the men's, we had uh, Pavic and uh, Mekic beating Marin Cilic and Ivan Dodig in, a, in, a, in the final, two good quality pairs. And great to see New Zealanders, uh, Marcus Daniel and Michael Venus, winning their country's first gold medal. They, they got the bronze medal. So, you know, some good results there. But really, no doubt that Krejcikova and Sinikova were the, the, the combination to beat all tournament. But in Storm Sanders came close, but just too good to checks. Yeah, right. Okay, and... Speaking about just the tennis overall, during the Olympics, there's been some pretty crazy upsets, not too much, uh, not many predictable results happening. Has there been a particular highlight of the tournament for you uh, over over the doubles and the singles and everything? Oh, look, I just think it was great to see, and you touched on this yourself, the mixed doubles, how great it was to watch, what it meant to watch top players going against each other when there was a lot on the line. We we see mixed doubles at Grand Slam tournaments, but it's somewhat of an afterthought. It's almost just a schedule filler. You know, we had the great tournament here for so many years, the Hopman Cup. Now, it was an exhibition, but you saw legends on the court. We saw Roger Federer and Serena Williams sort of sharing a court uh, not too long ago in Perth. It's a, it's a real shame that that's gone, but we'll see that tournament back at some stage next year. In Europe, unfortunately, not in Australia where it was founded. But I think just those matches were so good to see. I thought that was, uh, you know, that was a highlight. It just, I think the men's and women's teams event, the fact that the fact that it's a game that has men and women competing at the highest levels, we saw in the swimming, the medleys and things like that, the mixed medleys were great. Tennis has got a real chance to do something similar, I think, in uh, coming iterations of the Olympics. Just quickly, uh, a bit of a question without notice, but lots of people have been talking about golf and tennis maybe don't really deserve their spot in the Olympics because it's not it's not the pinnacle, really, for most players. What are your thoughts on that? Look, and, and certainly that's been, you know, it's been a debate ever since they both came back in the Olympics. Like, tennis was certainly in the initial Olympics going back a century ago, all the way back to, I think, about 1912. Um, no, I'm very much of the view that it should be, they should be in the Olympics. Yes, there's some millionaires. Not every player is a millionaire, though. So for someone like a Michael Venus and a Marcus Daniel or for Max Purcell, the young Sydney sider who had a win, John Millman who had a singles win, Storm Sanders being able to play, uh, even for Barty and Piers winning that bronze medal for their country, you saw how much the players really wanted to win it. Like, they were desperate to win it. So, no, for mine, if, you, if, if, if they are so desperate to win and we saw that that was the case again this Olympics... You know the tears, the, the the devastation when they were beaten, the just how happy they were when they when they won. I'm all for it. I, I think the more the better. Mm, yeah, very very hard to disagree with that. And that's about it for our tennis coverage in the tournament. Uh, so thanks so much for coming on three episodes and giving all your expert insight. It's been a pleasure, mate. Thanks. No, absolute pleasure, Harper. And I hope that it all goes well for the next week. And uh, really glad you guys are doing it. It's uh, it's great to see. Thanks so much to Courtney for coming on the show again. He has been a legend in this Tokyo Daily Series. I really appreciate it so, so much. Can't thank you enough, Courtney. But uh, we'll move on to a bit of a preview of what is to come later today. Before we get 
to that next next expert interview, which I promised all of you guys before. So talking about today, a fair bit of where do we begin action going on with our old guests. So at 10.16am, Jai Edwards makes his long-awaited Olympic debut. Oh, it's he's had an amazing story to get to the game. So listen to his episode if you can. He's in the 1,500-meter heat at 10.16am. Probably, that's probably got the fewest favorites in that heat out of the three heats. So hopefully he can do us all proud and progress through that heat, which would just be amazing. You can hear what his goals are for these Olympics in an episode we published yesterday uh, by accident, meant to be published today. (laughs) Jeez, it's been a bit of a hectic time. So mistakes happen. Sorry about that, guys. Came out yesterday. Have a listen. Later on, though, 11.50 a.m. This is a huge one. Brooke Stratton another friend of the show. She finished seventh in the long jump final in Rio. She's in a long jump final again at 11.50 a.m. She qualified probably by the skin of her teeth into the final, but we all know what she's capable of. She can pull out a seven-plus meter jump, 7.05 meters, Aussie record for her. Anything can happen with that one, really, but Quickly moving on, 4.33 p.m., Jason Waterhouse and Lisa Darmanin in the NACRA 17 medal race. They're in fourth place at the moment, one spot off the podium, but this race is for double points. So anything could happen, really. Sailing's a funny old sport, as they say, and if you want to, if you want to hear any of these people's goals, they're all available in the back catalogue of Where Do We Begin?, Moving on to the next one, the last Where Do We Begin album in action for the day, 8.50 in the evening, Lena Mihailovic and the Aussie Stingers, the water polo team, against the Russian Olympic Committee. So the ROC, they finished third in Group B. Aussies finished second in their group, only lost to Spain, and they are coming off a very good win against South Africa. They're brimming with confidence, 14-1 win against South Africa. So hopefully they can dispense with the ROC progress to a semi-final, which would be absolutely amazing. But moving on to a more general preview of what's to come today, spoke about the 1,500 metres with Jai Edwards. A couple other heats happening tomorrow. They're all happening tomorrow in the 1,500. 10.27 a.m., Stewie McSwain, and he is an absolute golden boy of Australian athletics. It's going to be very interesting to see what happens with him. He could do anything. He's set all kinds of records in the build-up to this. 10.27, his head is, and also Ollie Hoare, another Aussie, at 10.05 in the 1,500-meter heat. Later on in the athletics, 8.20 p.m., Curtis Marshall. We know he's had some COVID scares throughout the games, which Lockie Morehouse told us, uh, our athletics expert, a few days ago. He's in the men's pole vault final. That's at 8.20 p.m., now, moving on to a bit of track cycling. Uh, I've been watching it uh, recently, yesterday especially. Whoa, very, very good sport to watch, I reckon. 4.30 p.m., we've got the Aussies in the women's team pursuit up against New Zealand in a heat. And at 4.58, we've got uh, another group of Aussies in the men's team sprint. And the final of that, if they can get to it, is at 6.44 p.m. But their first race is at 4.58 6 p.m. This is an interesting one. Sport climbing, making its Olympic debut. A couple of Aussie representatives there, Oceana McKenzie and Tom O'Halloran. Very, hoo-hoo, that, that's, I keep saying hoo-hoo, but I genuinely mean hoo-hoo because there are so many interesting things happening today in the Olympics. I've got to keep whipping through them because there are so many. 7.35 p.m., Harry Garside, the Queensland lightweight boxer, uh, he has made it to the quarterfinal. He's coming up against the Kazakh Zakir Safiulin, sorry, Zakir Safiulin, and um, 
maybe he can earn himself a semi-final spot, which would be phenomenal for Australian boxing and Australian sport, really. 8 p.m., uh, this is a semi-final. The Kookaburras, the Aussie men's hockey team, coming up against Germany at 8 p.m., that's going to be a big one, coming off a good penalty shootout win against the Netherlands just the other day on Sunday. That was hockey, the hockey ruse yesterday, as I said before. They, they, geez, they'd be feeling gutted, like I said. Hopefully, the Kookaburras can kind of boost their spirits of hockey fans in Australia. In the other semi, we've got India against Belgium at 11.30am. So, obviously, the winners of those two games play off. The losers play off. And Aussies, three and four chance of getting a medal. So, you never know. Well, it's, pre- it's pretty likely, hopefully. Number one ranked in the world, 11pm though. Uh, we've got the beach volleyball quarterfinal. So the beach volleyball, the Aussies have been going very well for the women. Uh, those women are up against Canada at 11pm. If you want to uh, be up late watching the Olympics, there's not long of the Olympics left, so I'd be consuming as much as I can if I were you. But at 10pm, this is a very, very big one. Just throwing back a bit before that beach volleyball quarterfinal, we've got the Boomers against Argentina. So the Boomers, they won a warm-up match in Las Vegas last month against the Argentinians. This is a quarterfinal, by the way, guys, and they're going to be going in hot favourites, the Boomers. Argentina finished third in Group C. Boomers coming through, coming into this game undefeated so far. To speak all about the Boomers, I promised you another guest, and here she is, Hayley Wiles, our basketball expert, speaking about the Boomers and the Opals. Here she is. Hey, Hayley, been a while since you've been on the show, but you're back, back again to talk about the basketball. Thanks very much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. Yeah, yeah, good to have you on. So let's talk about the Boomers. They've played three group stage games, all three of their group stage games, since you were on last. Big game against Argentina quarterfinal coming up but tell me how how'd they fare in the group stage yeah they did really well they had three games and two two pretty easy wins and, and then a really close one against Italy in the middle that that they were able to get out of by three points so that was really encouraging to see them actually sort of fight for that win and be able to get get a win in a close game is always nice in the group stage yeah so not the trickiest of opposition, but have they convinced you that they can go far by their performances against those kind of weaker teams? Uh, yeah, I think they have. They, they've looked really good and, and their depth has really shone through. Obviously, the loss of Aaron Baines is a, is a massive one, but um, you see the likes of uh, Jock Landale and Nick Kay, who have both sort of been just been massive in there without Baines in the last game against Germany. And I expect those two to sort of keep showing that great form as we go into against uh, that game against Argentina and then hopefully onto the semis and who knows from there. So tell me a bit about Baines. Uh, he's a centre, I think. So well, what did he provide when he was, in, when he was playing and who, who do you reckon is going to step up to fill that hole and replace him? Yeah, so Baines, he's a massive loss. Yeah, he's a big centre. He's one of the biggest the biggest guy on the team and he's just a monster in the paint there and just gives Australia such a presence on the defensive end and he sort of clogs up that paint and, and makes life hard for the for the other bigs and, and on the opposition and that's a huge loss. But like I said, Jock Landale, who, who hopefully be in the NBA next year, he's sort of around that mark and, and he's got a lot to prove to make that NBA contract there and he's been awesome and I think he'll step up again without our Baines in there against Argentina and, and going forward. Mm, yeah, so that injury to Baines and Paddy Mills's unsurprisingly amazing performances all through the group stage, they've been making the big headlines. But who who else has done very well and maybe um, exceeded expectations so far? Yeah, well, Matisse Thibault, who 
is his first campaign with the Boomers has just been incredible. He's he's in the NBA and he was on the all defensive team this year for Philly and and he's just a, a beast on the uh, defensive end and he really just makes life hell for for the opposition on the offense and and he's really just I've loved watching him play. He just doesn't stop and and he's a real threat on the defensive end. And then he's also sort of hit some threes and, and had some nice transition points as well. So he's really been massive for the Boomers and will be for a very long time, hopefully. Oh, yeah, very, very exciting to hear that. Now, quarterfinal against Argentina, 10 p.m. tomorrow, I believe, Australian Eastern Standard Time. When I think basketball, I don't really think Argentina. I don't really think of them as a basketballing nation, really. <laughs> are they any good? They, yeah, they are. They have a, a great history um, in in the basketball, so they're going to be a real threat, and they always have been. And they've got two players that sort of are well that have been in the NBA in recent years, and then and in the NBA now, Lewis Scola, who's forty one years old now, but he's still just a, a massive presence for them, and just I don't think he'll ever stop playing. And, and then um, Campazzo, who's also a point guard who played for Denver this year in the NBA, he's perfect for FIBA basketball, can really set up his team and really deliver on the offensive end by setting up his players into great positions. So they're, they're a real threat, and, and we did struggle against them in uh, the warm-up game in Las Vegas, but Paddy Mills hit that game winner three on the buzzer and, and got us the winner, and he'll need to be having another massive game tomorrow night. Yeah, fingers fingers crossed from an Aussie perspective. Now, Aussie's going into it, big favourites. Lots of people are feeling pretty good about the draw. But if worse comes to worse and Argentina do well and if Argentina win, fingers crossed it doesn't happen. But what, what do you reckon happens? How do you reckon the game unfolds if Australia lose? Uh, look, to be honest, I think Campazzo will be the one that sort of – he's the real threat, I think. He's the one that uh, – can really get them going on the offensive end. And I think our defence needs to be really strong. And if our defence isn't there, Scholar, he can score. He's been scoring about 20 points a game in the tournament. He can get going and they, their offence can get going. So I think we, which we've shown, our defence has been great. So we need to keep that on it and that and we'll be fine, I think. But yeah, the defence is key. Okay, yeah, that's good to hear. But in terms of the rest of the draw, what's going on? Who, who are the other quarterfinal matchups and who are the big threats at the moment? Ah, uh, yeah. So USA and Spain are on our side of the draw. So if we are able to beat Argentina, we'll be playing the winner of USA and Spain, which they're both um, real threats. And the USA, obviously, they they have lost a game, but they're the USA, and I feel like they're always going to be there. And and Spain really broke Australia's hearts in the last Olympics. So if it does come to Australia versus Spain in the semis, um, I feel like there'll there'll be some nervous Australian fans after what happened in 2016, but to be able to beat them in the semis if it comes to that would be incredible. But, um, yeah, we'll have to wait for a while for that yet. But, yeah. Yeah, and I hear France are doing quite well as yeah. well. Do you reckon they're much of a shot for um, getting around the medal positions? Yeah, for sure. They're on the other side of the draw, so we won't see them if it gets to that until the final. But they've got great NBA players. Rudy Gobert, who's a defensive player of the year in the NBA for Utah. Um, Evan Fournier, he's a beast. And, and they're really, they are also suited for FIBA basketball. Sort of, that's what's got Team USA a bit struggling. They're not so much used to FIBA basketball and the FIBA rules, but but France and all the other sort of um, international countries really are used to it. And that France is a real threat on that side of the draw for sure. Yeah. So you mentioned FIBA basketball. I've heard bits and pieces here and there of how it's different, but what what are the rules? How are they different from NBA, NBL, just regular basketball? 
Yeah, so the NBA, they don't use FIBA rules, whereas the NBL does sort of uh, most of the FIBA oh, okay. rules. So the NBA, they can um, – it's a lot different on the offensive end. The, the, um, just by the way the NBA players like to draw fouls on the offensive end, they sort of go fishing for fouls, whereas in FIBA, they just don't call those fouls. And you see a lot of the Team USA players really frustrated by not getting calls, but they're just not there in FIBA rules. They're, we're not playing in the NBA, and, and it's taken them a while to adjust to that. Yeah, okay, right, that makes sense. Now, uh, before we move on, can I get a prediction for the Boomers game tomorrow? And if they win that, how far do you reckon they're going to go? Uh, yeah, I think they will take care of business against Argentina. So then on to the semis, which I assume would be against Team USA. And and I, oh, I'd i love to think they can beat them. And I totally think they can if, if the pieces fall our way in that game. But, um, yeah, well, even if we do lose the semi, um, we'll be into the bronze medal match and we've never won a medal the boomers in the olympics before and if we're in a bronze medal match that's a win for me so um i think that it'd just be great if they're able even able to get to a bronze medal match so hopefully they can get past argentina and then take on usa oh yeah that usa game that would maybe be the most watched basketball game in australian yeah. history i reckon that would be absolutely <laughs> sure. huge. i think it would, that would be, <laughs> yeah, be dom- dominate the media for <laughs> the whole build up of it but um, moving yeah. on from the Boomers, moving to the Opals, the women's team, they've they've struggled a bit, haven't they? They've had a couple of games. Yeah. We're recording this before their game against Puerto Rico at 10pm tonight. So, yeah, what, what do you reckon is going on for them? Uh, yeah, obviously, uh, they've lost their two games against Belgium and then a heartbreaker against China on Friday night. They they didn't play well in that China game on Friday night, but they were still there with Jenna Hay hitting two massive threes right at the end to, to even the scores with about two seconds to go. and. You thought, oh, we're looking good for overtime here. But then a very questionable foul, I'll call it that, a questionable foul uh, on Kayla George in the paint gave um, China the chance to at the line to sink their free throws and they were able to get up by two points with 0.6 of a second to go. And it was one of the hardest losses I've seen the Opals take. But I know they'll bounce back tonight against uh, Puerto Rico. So I'm hoping they can get over the line there and win very big to get into the quarterfinals. Were Australia expected to just breeze through this group, win every game? Uh, no, so Belgium, they're a quality team. Uh, Emma Mieferman is an absolute star. She won the WNBA uh, Finals MVP a couple of years ago and she tore the game to shreds against us uh, on that first game against Belgium. And, and then China, you would have liked to think we'd be able to have, have handled them, but they came out really well and and our defence was just not there and our offence was a bit clunky, but we did find it late and in that second quarter as well. But we haven't looked great, but if we're able to beat um, Puerto Rico tonight by over 25 points, we'll be in the quarters and and then you don't know what happens from there. So speaking of what happens from there, who who are the kind of teams that we could match up against then? What are the real daunting uh, opposition teams that we could face in the quarterfinals if we make it through? Uh, yeah, so... Yeah, so I believe um, in the quarters we'll either be playing Team USA or Spain. So they're two great teams, quite frankly, and I think it would be a tough task to beat either of those teams. But um, that's what it's looking like if we're able. So, yeah, first of all, tonight we've got to beat Puerto Rico by over 25 points or 25 points and more. And um, and then, yeah, we'll have a quarterfinal matchup against USA or Spain. So it's exciting. 
Yeah, yeah, very exciting. People are going to know the result of that Puerto Rico game once they yeah. listen to this. But we were speaking in our uh, in the earlier episode about a week ago now, I think, uh, about who, who's going to step up in place of Liz Cambridge. Who, who do you reckon, well, the team hasn't performed too well, but have any players kind of, um, yeah. have you noticed any particular players playing really well? Yeah, Evie Magbagor has really stepped up. She had her first Olympics and I, I sort of signalled her as the player that needed to step up and, and she's been everything you could sort of hope for in her first Olympics at 21 years old. She's carrying a huge load on, on both ends of the court and, and her, her defensive presence has really been strong. And then on offence, she's just really uh, been our leading scorer and she's one that really needs to have a big game. Hopefully she's had a big game against Puerto Rico and, and then also another key I think will be Beck Allen getting getting going on offense. She's such a threat and, and if she can get going uh, against Puerto Rico and then later in the tournament, I think we're a real threat. So, yeah. Okay, yeah, that's good. But uh, looking ahead to tonight, we'll just quickly touch on this because people are going to know the result. Here's your chance to uh, jinx the game. Who's, what's your prediction <laughs> for tonight? Uh, yeah, so I think we, we do win and I, I'm hoping we win by over 25 and I, and I think we should because um, Puerto Rico have been smashed in both games by I think 44 points by Belgium and or no, by China and then 35 points by Belgium. So 25, it sounds a lot, but it actually is realistic. So I think we win by hopefully it's not too close and we're not too nervous on the edge of our seats, but I, I think we can get over the line by high 20s to early 30s, hopefully. Yeah, that that would be bro- that would be great if that happens. But like you said, a very challenging task in the quarterfinals, no matter who we yeah. come up against. Really, especially considering the poor form leading into it. But I think uh, that's that. Really, thanks very much for coming back on the show, Haley. Been a pleasure. No worries. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much, Haley, for coming on the show again. Really love Haley Wild's uh, contributions to the show. Get a bit of basketball expertise, talk about the Boomers, talk about the Opals. Opals coming off a very good win last night, which, of course, uh, we didn't know about recording that because we recorded it before, but you can check out Haley's work at The Pick and Roll. Some great basketball writing there for all those interested. Now, it's been an absolute bumper show, really long one. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Lots of expert analysis from three different guests, and hopefully uh, you've enjoyed my company as well when I've been alone. And that just about wraps it up. So thanks very much for listening, watching, wherever you are, guys. Make sure you support the show however you can. Really means a lot. You know what to do. I'm not going to say it. Just waste time. But thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. I'll see you tomorrow for another episode of Tokyo Daily.